and those are probably the actual ashes. I just put oh, it back God. in. And like, <coughs> oh, only a little bit got in my mouth. <laughs> only like half of it. Only like half of it. Um. So welcome to Super Duper Stitches, the paranormal podcast about the science of the strange and the supernatural. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake, and uh, we're bringing you a. Our third annual super duper stitious Halloween, Halloween spook extravaganza coming so. to you live from the, well not live because it's recorded but come recorded live. Why it we are alive uh, <laughs> and we're recorded in, inside of the Portsmouth South Meeting Hall, the old South Meeting, the old house. South Meeting Hall house. house. It's a hall. <laughs> it was built in uh, 1866, a mere 133 years before the Matrix came out. And uh, 800 years after the Battle of Hastings. I mean, there you go. It's the Battle of Hastings <laughs> that I usually use. Yes. Um, it's on the site of, I guess, a previous, it used to be a different meeting house in its place that um, this was built. Oh, wow. Uh, on top of, for a while it was abandoned. And then it was actually the, um, once it became into reuse, it was the home of the Children's Museum of New Hampshire before that was moved to Dover, New Hampshire. Hmm. Right over by, across from where Seven Settlement used to be, now yes. Smut Labs. Right. They're putting in the sign for Smut Labs today. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. More about the spooky spot. Oh, yes. Which is that <laughs> it is so haunted. It's so haunted. Here we have had reports of disembodied footsteps, electronics going crazy, and even some disembodied voices. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if any or all of that happens this evening. We already had a little technical difficulty setting up, so perhaps that was Ghost. Maybe. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, then we have um, our friend Roxy's Wicker, who you remember from last October. Indeed. We talked to her. She's, She's the one to thank. Thank you very much. She set us up, as well as the PPM TV for letting us use the space. Yes, indeed. Thank you guys very much. Check out Portsmouth Public Media Television. So we have a variety of stories for you today. They are going to be leaning as hard in the spooky direction as possible, not necessarily in the science part of it the way we usually do, because it's Halloween, damn it. It's we want to be scared. Gosh darn. We're sitting here in the dark. We have a giant candle. We have... Done all we can to prime ourselves for creepiness. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I guess we both have a little slew of stories. I've got a few short ones and then one long one. Nice. So just to kind of get us into the mood, here's a short story by Madmaster71 from a couple of days ago um, at the time of recording this, entitled, We Saw Something We Can't Explain. Ooh. Um... I do want to comment that this flame is blowing around way more than I would have expected for being in a closed room like this. I don't feel a breeze. It is actually flickering quite a bit. Like more than one would expect. I'm not feeling obvious air movement. It's going all over the damn place, which is also kind of annoying because of trying to read. <laughs> Could you stop moving the candle? Ghosts. Stupid ghosts. Um, yeah, we should employ the ghost hunters tactic. <laughs> or the ghost adventures ghost tactic. adventures excuse me i always get it wrong uh the ghost adventures tactic of being huge bro douchebags to ghosts <laughs> and then getting really scared when we think something oh happened. my god <laughs> about a year ago i was out back with my family it was around eight and the sun was setting we lived in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere the closest neighbor was far away something down the field kept catching my eye but i ignored it at first my sister saw it too and kept looking out towards the trees. She was getting freaked out about it. My mom said to go investigate, so me and my sister started to walk across the field towards the tree line. Big mistake. It's hard for me to describe. This was the most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me. I didn't see it at first, and I didn't understand why my sister was so scared, until we were about 100 yards away when I saw this creature. 
tall, probably eight or nine feet tall, white, humanoid with an elongated head mm-hmm. and no face. It had long arms and peeked around the trees at us. We stopped in our tracks. We couldn't tell what it was. It took a few steps further out of the trees and swayed back and forth um, at me like a praying mantis. You know about that as far as the... Tis man. <laughs> That's right. Tis man I saw. <laughs> uh, what episode was that to call? But I don't know. If you listen to a bunch, you'll eventually find that particular <laughs> yeah. thing we said. Um, uh, me and my sister ran screaming back to the house where my mom stood. Jaw dropped. She had seen it too. I'd never been so scared in my life. We grabbed the binoculars and watched this terrifying creature peek in and out of the tree line, spying on us. My grandma um, thought we all just had wild imaginations. Um, the tree was... Um, the you sun was crazy kids. <laughs> the sun was almost gone now, and it was getting really dark. And the darker it got, the more it moved, back and forth along the trees. It was terrifying, so we went in for the night and locked everything up tight. Call the fucking cops by this point. It may sound like they're just way out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, okay. I couldn't sleep that night. I was hearing scratching on the roof, and at one point, a very loud bang and various noises coming from the barn. I was very afraid that I would wake up to my animals missing. The next morning, my grandma asked if we heard the loud bang outside that night. She ended up t- um, taking my grandpa with her on her morning walk. I had no idea what it was, and it haunts me to this day. Uh, edit. I sketched it for you and posted it here. So here is... Oh, is that going to be visible in the dark? Can you just hold it in the flame for me? <laughs> yes. Can you see this sketch? Oh, that's spooky. That's really spooky, actually. Yeah. So a nice sketch that we'll post a link to. See yes, what it looks like. long-bodied and armed sort of alien humanoid-looking creature. Not like alien from the movie Alien. Yeah. Alien like the greys. Yeah. A ghoul, a crawler. A ghoulish a thing I like. beast, yes. I agree. Um, let's see. Edit two. I have found a clip that may help visualize what I saw. It's not great detail, but the way it moves and sways back and forth in the clip is exactly how the creature I saw moved. So this is a what? link to um, a video we've seen before on the show. It's this video. Um, oh, I hate belly. I turned the light back up of uh, this guy seeing this thing oh, in his backyard. Oh, the quote-unquote demon. Yeah, that was just kind of out there and just kind of there and moving it. Just the way it moved, she said, is how this thing moved. And I don't like it. Even I don't like it at all. It's oh just kind of a fast motion, but it's kind of shambling. And the fast motion is so much worse. It really is. Um, it's just awful. <laughs> so that, she said, oh seemed to kind of God. match the movement she saw from from their yard. Oh, um, I'm hating that so yeah, that backs much. away into the dark, and but then it comes uh, back real close for a second and then thinks about it a little bit and then at some point where it gets, it gets a little closer but it starts to kind of freak out and just go away into the darkness and that's it wow so creepy one horrible video we watched that uh, a while okay. back on about that one. a previous episode and i had forgotten about it until it came up i was like oh oh <laughs> um so oh. <laughs> this is still a developing story as far as her responding to comments stuff saying oh you know when i saw it the proportions seemed all wrong the way it moved was too natural for mm. like unnatural for seeing it but seemed too natural for its shape to be mm. just someone in a costume. Oh, right. That's her thought. It just seemed right. she wasn't sure what it was, but just really creeped out by it. I guess she has since moved away from the area, but um, this, this occurred yeah, about a year ago now. Wow. Um, yeah, so. That's it's also a, like if it did happen, such an extreme prank to pull on just some random people way out in the middle, in the middle of, nowhere. of nowhere. Yeah, it's just very impractical. Yeah. Like that one, if that was a prank, the one video we just watched, it seems like it's a suburban kind of area where 
someone could do that or like we right. kind of surmised once you have the sound on it seems like it's probably a staged thing potentially but well, we can only still, hope right yeah, <laughs> otherwise oh no <laughs> oh no but uh exactly. that's my uh you know pretty pretty standard jake kind of fair oh but, i enjoyed it very but spooky. my my starter story do you want to start out with some listener stories i would love to so these are a few stories submitted to us by listener katie who comes from london but is currently living in perth australia so thank you very much katie for these uh cool stories these are things that happened to her she is admirably self-described as a true science-minded skeptic with a fervent interest in the paranormal and loves a good scare so Hopefully we provided at least some part of that with this show. Exactly. It sounds like we have, which I'm very happy for. So anyway, here are some stories from Katie. So story number one. When I was a child, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a beautiful, large, old Victorian house in southwest London. The kind of house with creaky pipes and ye old style pull chain flush toilet cisterns. A few minor spooky things happened in this house that have always unnerved me but are all equally small enough happenings that it never really bothered me or my family. And I totally get that, because that's kind of how I felt about the weird shit that happened in my house. It was the kind of house with old antique furniture that had its own history longer than the length of all our lives added together. So over 400 million years (laughs) old. Uh, There was an antique vanity desk with a three-paneled mirror on top of it, the kind you could use to see almost to the back of your head if you turned them. And that resided in my Nana's bedroom, complete with old crystal jewelry organizers and innumerable perfume bottles. My Nana's grandmother, my great-great-grandmother, swore that if you stared too long into the mirrors of this desk, you would see the devil. She would warn her grandchildren never to stare too long into it. Pretty reasonable Mm -hmm. warning. I could never bring myself to look too long in this mirror, but I remember it always giving me the shivers when I went near it. There was one winter when my Nana suddenly awoke in the middle of the night and startled the rest of us awake with her yelping. We all knew she was, she might have been a dog. We all knew <laughs> that she was quite the drama queen. So half-arsed, we got up to see what the fuss was about this time. All I remember is her standing out of her bedroom terrified, with her eyes filled with tears, and just repeating that there was a woman at the foot of her bed in a long white dress and long white hair mm-hmm. just staring at her <laughs> and that she didn't want to go back in there to sleep. My dad went in first, turning on the light and walking into the bedroom. We followed half excited but also hoping not to see anything and were kind of weirdly disappointed to not see anything. The room was to- totally normal, but I remember getting a shiver from walking back out past that vanity desk. Pretty spooky uh, mirror situation. Mirrors in the dark are never that much fun, too. Oh, no, not at all. Nor are women in long white dresses that are incorporeal. Uh, And just watching you. Indeed. (laughs) I just want to watch you sleep. So story number two. I was playing with my neighbor, Julia. We were both about six years old at the time, and we were all downstairs in the house. My dad was out at work, and my mom and Nana were in the kitchen. There was a small toilet downstairs under the staircase. Weird. And another toilet upstairs at the back end of the house. At the top of the stairs. Even weirder. Yeah. <laughs> there was one more on the in stairs. the middle of the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> While we were playing, Julia gets up to go to the downstairs loo, but she comes into the kitchen to my mom and Nana after opening and closing the downstairs toilet door. Is that what they call the lid of a toilet in, uh, in the UK? 
the toilet door. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a well-known term. Um, so she asks her, uh, my mom, where's the other toilet? My mom answers, knowing there's no one else in the house, why don't you use the one under the stairs, darling? I read that like really spooky, but I'm sure it was really <laughs> sweet. Julia replies, I can't use that one because there's a lady in there. <laughs> my mom looks at Nana in disbelief and directs Julia upstairs to the other Lou. Meanwhile, checking the downstairs Lou, there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. Pretty strange. Kids seeing spooky stuff. As you were saying that, there's a light traveling across that wall. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I realized that was just a car outside. Uh, was it? <laughs> it? It continued again and made just like clear projections of the window itself. So then I was like, okay, it's just that. But at first I was like, mm, could have been a very sure. rectangular trapezoidal <laughs> ghost. <laughs> trapezoidal. Well, trapezoid. The most or. dangerous shape. Yes. <laughs> uh, story number three. Another time, years later, we were all awoken in the dead of night to the sound of Billy Jean by your boy, Michael Jackson, blasting from our stereo downstairs with the volume turned up to its absolute maximum, which, of course, is 10. <laughs> yes. um, we all come out of our re- respective rooms uh, onto the upstairs landing, rubbing our eyes as the deafening song continues. Wondering which one of us is playing the music, or I guess set the music playing. But see, we are all accounted for. In my memory, I was about 10 years old at this point, we all peer over the banister to look down into the blackness downstairs, and following my dad, all creep down the stairs to find nothing at all. Mm. We turned the stereo off and went back to bed. So pretty spooky. That is kind of like exactly the kind of weird shit that happens, I feel like, to people. And I would also feel very creeped if i were to have had those experiences and any kind of sudden loud noise to wake you up in the middle of the night especially if it's continuous is mm-hmm. very jarring and very uh i mean there's no way to account for how it happened to begin with it's oh yeah not fun not fun at all so thank you very much katie we appreciate it we appreciate you yeah and if you are anywhere i guess in the perth area and you need a custom sign or a window <laughs> display go to bespoke to you.com some cool stuff that is Katie's business, if that was not apparent. <laughs> not just a random just plug for a something random else. random plug for something else, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jake, do you want to tell some spooks now? Yeah, I have uh, another story I can tell before we jump into yours. I legit am hearing weird shit in the headphones right now. Yeah, I was actually hearing some static during uh, before. I'm, I just heard static that I've never heard in these <laughs> microphones before. Interesting. <laughs> it was like a... Did you hear that too? Not that specific sound, but... Wait, can we just do... Can we do a reset of whatever we just did and see if something happens again? Oh, could it be texts? Could be. Can you send me a text real quick? Yeah, I'll try that. See if that produces any sound. Like the old... Yeah, yeah, exactly. The text horse. <laughs> the text horse, exactly. All right, I just sent a test text to you. I'm hearing that. Did you hear that? A little bit, yeah. Beesh, beesh, that sound? Mm-hmm. Have you received the text? I have. Well, oh, my God, my ghost. <laughs> oh, it happens again. <laughs> Carry on. Cool. Well, here's just one little story, then we can jump into your uh, Ooh, spooky yes, finale. Oh, yes. so this one um, comes from Randall Monroe, of all people. Yeah, the XKCD guy. Oh. So here that is. So I was about 15, late 1998 or early 1999. I've been really interested in lucid up one night at 2.30 a.m. from a long and involved one. As was my habit at the time, I wrote down the whole dream in detail on a paper near my bed. 
Some 90s of him. Yes. While I was putting down the last few details, I heard music coming from the hallway. The house was dark and quiet. My parents were asleep, and the house is pretty small and was only um and has only one floor. The music wasn't like anything I had heard before. It sounded like someone was pouring sleigh bells on a series of regular troughs. <laughs> also, tiny tinkling notes merging into a chaotic tune. Wow, that's freaky. Yeah. For like 30 seconds, I sat on my bed, creeped out, thinking, this is so surreal, and where could it be coming from? Someone parked outside? And other things you think when you're 15 and awake and home alone and kind of a wimp. <laughs> I finally got the nerve to get up and walk over to the door, and the noise got louder as I did. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it was coming from down the hall. Oh, no. I saw out through the ajar door that everything was dark. I knew that I would have to walk out there to see what it was, but it was such a strange experience, and I found myself terrified of the dark hallway. Mm. So I chickened out. I backed away from the door, sat on my bed, wrapped the blanket around me, and listened. I knew I wouldn't be able to remember the music, but I tried to verify that it had a tune to it, and it did. Chaotic though it was, I could anticipate parts of the melody. Hmm. And I took the piece of paper on which I had written my dream and added a note at the bottom. 2.30 a.m. Strange music. Scared. And then I just stared at the doorway. <laughs> About a minute and a half later, the music faded down and stopped. There was silence. I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel like sleeping. Eventually, I got up the nerve to walk out my door and into my parents' room across the hall, where I stood awkwardly at the foot of their bed, not sure what I would say if I woke them up. Mm. Finally, I decided not to and walked back into my room. I uh, read for a while and fell asleep. The next morning, I asked my parents. They didn't know anything and couldn't think of a piece of music that it might might be. My dad Hmm. suggested tubular bells. I've never heard it again or or figured out what happened. The obvious suggestion is that I dreamed it. This doesn't fit for several reasons. Hmm. One, I've never confused a dream for a real experience after waking up. Two, I remember thinking at the time... Years from now, when the memory of this has faded, I'll probably start telling myself it was a dream, and it'll Mm. probably help me wonder less, but I know with certainty right now that it wasn't. Third, I can't really write text in my dreams, let alone write a full page (laughs) of narrative. Fourth, I looked at the paper the next morning and saw the note. I wish I could find the paper again, but my room was always a mess of stacks (laughs) of paper, and sometime in the next few years it vanished. I don't expect anyone to figure this out. I don't expect to ever find an answer, and I don't think this was anything supernatural. The lesson here, and the reason I retell this story, is this. Forget what the horror movies teach you. Even if you're scared, go investigate the strange phenomenon, or you might just find yourself wondering for the rest of your life. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And if you do hear this music one night and go to investigate, don't forget your towel. (laughs) (laughs) Hitchhiker's Guide. (laughs) So, very fun stuff. So now I think we're ready for a... uh, An especially spooky uh, longer tale from you. Allow me to dive in... (laughs) So this is a short story published by uh, Guernica Mag earlier this year. It's already being made into a horror flick uh, involving the likes of Guillermo del Toro. Pretty cool. And uh, will be called Antlers. But it's all based on this short story by Nick Antosca called The Quiet Boy. Oh. And, uh, you know, it's up there online for any and all to see and read. And so I felt like... We should see it and read it. Let's see it and read it. All right. It happened during her second month as a teacher. She was 23 and frustrated. She'd expected to end up in a city, but Teach for America had sent her here to this little town built around a dead railroad station, Rexford, West Virginia. Another teacher had told her the unofficial town motto was Hills, Whores, and Liquor Stores. (laughs) She hadn't seen any whores as far as she knew, but there were definitely hills and liquor stores. Liquor stores had eyes. Exactly. That's how they go, right? And those hills were drunk. 
Okay, guys, Julia told her fourth graders, settle down and start writing your stories. She was lucky, she knew. She'd been born with a teacher's voice, confident but kind, pleasing to the ear but full of authority. They listened when she spoke. If you couldn't get them to listen, you were dead. You needed other things too, patience, a good memory of who you had been at that age. But most of all, you had to love the kids, suffer when they struggled or when something bad was going on at home. Be happy for them when they succeeded or when they laughed wildly at a dumb joke. And she did. She loved her kids. She just wasn't sure she loved being a teacher, especially not here in this town. She herself had had a few teachers, particularly one in high school, who told her she could be something. What she wanted now was to be that kind of teacher, one who made a difference for her students, or at least for a few of them. But most of the Rexford kids didn't seem to want anything different. They already looked forward to dropping out of high school at 16. Mm-hmm. Your story can be a fable, a tall tale, or a fairy tale, she told the class. But remember, what do all stories have? Miss Gray, I know, said Travis, his arm shooting up. A beginning, a middle, and an end. Travis was loud and bossy, the kind of kid they always joked would become a teacher. He lived in Ballard Creek, a newish suburb outside of Rexford, filled with D.C. commuters who lived out here because taxes were lower. Julia had gone there last month to drive a kid home after he'd missed the bus. The lawns were neat. She talked briefly to the kid's mom, who was a little drunk. The mom had pointed up the street at all the saplings in their swollen beds of dirt. Tiny trees, she said. All planted at the same time. That's why they're all the same size. There's nothing I hate more than tiny trees. Julia had nodded politely. Your poor husband. You could tell the Ballard Creek kids from the Rexford kids right away. They had cleaner clothes. They, were, they weren't smarter, but they had parents who actually made them do homework. That's right, she told Travis. A beginning, a middle, and an end. Miss Gray. It felt like a glove that didn't fit. When the recess bell rang, they leapt from their seats to line up at the door. Except Lucas Weaver. He stayed at his desk, feverishly writing. All the Rexford kids were poor, but Lucas seemed really poor. He had dark hair and scabby hands. The pair of Wrangler jeans he wore every single day had been patched up so sloppily she wondered if he'd done it himself. Okay, guys, she said to the line of rowdy nine and ten-year-olds. Quiet down. I said a line, not a circus. They got quiet and she let them go. Other teachers were already outside to watch them on the playground. She and Lucas were alone. Her desk was covered with unfinished lesson plans and papers she needed to grade, and part of her wanted to tell him to go outside so she could get her work done. But she sat beside him. Lucas, you don't want to go out to recess? He didn't look up. I'm writing my fairy tale. Okay, Julia said. She saw that he wasn't just writing, he was illustrating. The illustrations were detailed and swift. She didn't want to interrupt, he was so engrossed. So she watched. His shoulders were frail, his bones bird-like and distinct. Did he have enough to eat? Did he get breakfast in the morning? She had asked around about him. He lived down in the Mudders, which is what they called a row of homes out past the train tracks. The real name was Pearl Mudder Road. It was the poorest part of town. In her two months' experience, Lucas had been the hardest to make a connection with. He had no friends. If he got close to him, he seemed to subtly withdraw. Like he was scared, he smelled bad. He actually did have a faint odor, but it wasn't anything revolting exactly. He smelled like damp leaves, like the outdoors, and like pets, damp animal fur. 
Do you have a dog or a cat at home? She said. Lucas stopped writing. The question seemed to trouble him. No. Oh, she said. Did you ever ask your mom and dad if you could have one? He still didn't look at her. I just live with my dad and my little brother. I didn't know you had a brother, she said. What's his name? Todd. (laughs) How old is he? Does he go here? He's homeschooled, Lucas said. She saw that he'd almost finished another illustration. It was a large animal, burly and dark. Suddenly he stood, as if embarrassed, and crumpled up the pages. What are you doing? she said. He ran to the trash can, tearing the pages up, and threw the scraps away. He looked at her with a shy, ashamed expression that made her heart go out to him. But then he fled outside. She observed through the window as he crouched at the edge of the playground, arms around knees, watching the other kids. She was in the teacher's lounge when a third grade teacher named Brett Goucher approached her. What's that? A story one of my kids drew, Julia said. She was taping Lucas's story back together like a jigsaw puzzle. She thought Brett would go away after a moment. He was like an older version of the guys in college who seemed to think that if they just hovered long enough, you might spontaneously become their girlfriend. But instead, he sat down. Mm -hmm. What kid? Lucas Weaver. Brett made a soft, sympathetic chuckle. Kind of a lost cause, isn't he? Never had him in class, but I think he's a little out there. He's smart, Julia said. I wonder if the dad has any idea. Brett said, I was at the cleaners a few months ago, the laundromat by Paul's Pizza, and the kid, Lucas, comes in with an armful of sheets, and he goes to a machine, puts the sheets in, puts a quarter in, and then he strips down to his underpants and puts all his clothes in, too. So he's sitting there, buck naked, except his Batman underpants, just watching the clothes go round and around like a dog. He gave another chuckle. Human suffering is funny. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a douche. (laughs) He doesn't have any other clothes to wear, Julia said quietly. You know, Brett said, I did teach for America too when I was your age. They had me in Baltimore. It was like the wire. Those people named their kids the craziest shit. I had this pair of twins in my class. The one was named Your Highness and the other was Your Majesty. I gotta go, Julia said, getting up. She had finished taping the story together. Julia read Lucas's story at home. She was renting a little cottage just outside of town. Her cottage nestled behind a larger house, one of the nicest, most well-kept houses in all of Rexford, where the landlady, a 60-something divorced woman named Elaine Fielding, lived. The cottage was quiet and cozy. Lucas's story was called The Three Wolves. Sometimes kids just rewrote stories they knew. They'd write about Iron Man or Jack Sparrow. She thought at first that Lucas had just retold Goldilocks with wolves, but there was no Goldilocks in this story. There were only the wolves. He keeps writing it as wolves rather than wolves. And I'm not sure if that's intentional or not, but I'm just going to read it as it is. There were only wolves who lived together in a cave above a town. Big Wolf, Middle Wolf, and Little Wolf. Big Wolf was a brute. Little Wolf was timid. Middle Wolf was the peacemaker. Every day, Middle Wolf went out and got fish for them all. But one day he came back and Big Wolf and Little Wolf had rabies. And all they wanted to do was go to town and eat people. So Middle Wolf blocked up the entrance to the cave with rocks and taped the other two inside where they growled all day and night. And every day he caught fish for them, which he slipped between the rocks to sate their hunger. And every night he slept by the entrance to make sure they never got out. Lucas had drawn each of them. His illustrations were quick but thoughtlessly uh, confident, like a painter's sketches. 
The most extraordinary thing was how realistic they were, except that Middle Wolf had an oddly human face, and Big Wolf had strange eyes. Little Wolf was just a pup. It was a strange story for a kid to write. He'd said he lived with his dad and little brother, Todd. So Big Wolf was the father, Little Wolf was Todd, and Middle Wolf, the one who took care of everything, who kept the peace, was Lucas. She guessed Lucas's father was probably an alcoholic, maybe a bad one. And Lucas was probably one of those kids who have to parent the parent. Clean up, put his brother to bed on nights when dad stumbled in late or passed out early. One day he came home and his little brother was an alcoholic too. (laughs) Soon he was on the bottle. And that thing about Little Wolf getting rabies. Was Lucas afraid because his brother, probably younger and more impressionable, looked up to dad? Might one day become him? Was okay, she... so they actually are. Yeah. <laughs> Not so literally than that. Was she reading too much into it? She went to bed with the story kicking around her mind. Shapes of wolves slouched through her dreams, surly with black matted fur. Julia went by Rite Aid on her way to school and bought sweatshirts and socks. Before class, she looked at Lucas's front office records. His home address was listed as 18 Perlmutter Road. The only parent listed was his father, Frank. Frank. She pictured a big man, rough, with a nimbus of liquor breath. What are you interested in the Weaver kid for? The secretary, Carol, asked. Julia closed the file. Mrs. Parsons mentioned a board of ed thing once. An art program for gifted students? Country arts program or... Jefferson County Arts Mentorship Program, Carol recited. It's fed money. They pay special teachers, bring them in a couple times a week after school, one-on-one work. Julia thought that would be perfect for Lucas. At lunch, Julia kept Lucas behind and gave him the clothes. Two cheap gray sweatshirts and six pairs of white socks with red stripes. He seemed not to believe it at first. He didn't want to let go of them. These will fit me, he said, tentative. Good, Julia said. Then she said, You like drawing, don't you? You like art? I like drawing stuff. I found out about a special program for kids like you, she said. You'd get to stay after school and work with a special art teacher for drawing? I talked to a man at the board of ed about it. Is that something you want to do? She saw something in his eyes then. Enthusiasm or hope? One of those quiet, thrilling things. Yeah, he said. Great, Julia said. I just need to get your dad to sign a permission slip. I'd like to talk to him about it, too, and... Lucas's face changed. A light went out. Actually, I don't want to, he said. He got up, hurried toward the door. Wait, Julia said. Lucas, you would get to... I changed my mind, he said, fleeing. She heard the sharp, echoing smacks of his sneakers in the hallway. She thought about it that night, making dinner in the cottage. She could hear Elaine's dogs, a mastiff and a Dalmatian, barking from the main house. Must be a rabbit in the yard. She thought about how Lucas had reacted so viscerally to the idea that she might talk to his father. Was he embarrassed by the idea of her meeting Frank? No, not embarrassed. There had been fear. He thought Frank would punish him for being singled out as gifted. The next day at lunch, she tried to talk to Lucas again, but he resisted, saying only, I changed my mind, I don't want to do it. Later, she called his home phone number, the one listed in his file but got the this number is not in service message. It bothered her. She asked Miss Sims, the teacher who had had Lucas last year, if she'd ever met Frank. Miss Sims didn't think so, and she was surprised that Julia thought Lucas was gifted. Miss Sims had thought he was challenged. None of the other teachers had ever seen Lucas's father. Well, this is what I'm here to do, isn't it? Julia thought. 
If nobody else at the school has gone out of their way to help this kid or reached out to Frank Weaver, it might as well be me. She didn't tell Lucas. Perlmutter Road was the last stop on his bus route, so he would get dropped off around 4. If she left school right away, she could get to his house by 3.40, which would give her 20 minutes to talk to Frank Weaver. It was Friday. She left right after the last bell. She drove through town past forlorn houses and big dogs chained to posts, past Judy's laundromat and Paul's pizza, then down a pockmarked road to the dead train station. She crossed the tracks and drove down a short road flanked by woods that became another road. The sagging homes that lined it made her think of toothless faces. This was Pearl Mutter Road, the Mutters. Lucas's house, number 18, was a two-story gray trap. The porch was sunken. The driveway was so overgrown that there was no driveway. Julia parked on the street. The house was even worse up close. The neighboring ones, at least, showed signs of life. Toys on porches, curtains and windows. But Lucas's front yard hadn't been mowed in years. And the windows were actually boarded up. And the door was all blocked off with rocks. And the house was actually on fire. (laughs) Had she made a mistake? She looked around. It was quiet. She could hear insects, birds in the woods, dogs. There were no dogs. Every other yard in Rexford, it seemed, had a dog, but not here. Not in the mutters. She remembered how Lucas had smelled, like pets, but he told her he didn't have any. Someone was looking at her. She didn't know how long he'd been there. A young man, a kid, on the next porch over. He had the hollow eyes of an Oxycontin addict, high school age. What are you doing over there? he said. I need to talk to Mr. Weaver, Julia said. Her voice sounded too high, weak. She tried again. Frank Weaver, do you know if he's here? He just kept staring. Maybe he wasn't such a kid. Maybe he was in his mid-twenties or older. You'd better get away from there, he said. I'm from the school, she said. I'm Lucas's teacher. Well, I told you, he said, and went into his house. She thought about knocking on his door, asking if he knew them, but she was scared of him. She was scared of Frank Weaver, too. She was scared that at any moment she could lose her nerve. She walked up on Lucas's porch and rang the doorbell. No sound from inside. She beat on the door with her open hand, hesitantly at first, then harder. Hello? Mr. Weaver? Nothing. And yet she had a discomforting sense of someone just on the other side of the door mm-hmm. and aware of her presence. She pounded on the door again. Hello? Is anyone here? Still no sound. She stepped back. She noticed something. The windows were boarded up from the outside. She approached the nearest one. The boarding up had been done haphazardly, with the boards misaligned and the nails driven in at crazy angles. It was, she thought, like a child had done it. And there were gaps between the boards. She leaned in, staring into the interior darkness, letting her eyes adjust to the shadows inside. One shadow was shaped like a man. (laughs) Her scalp went cold. He was standing 15 feet away, looking in her direction. Or maybe it's just a coat hung on a door. Maybe it's just... No, the figure in the darkness shifted slightly. It didn't come closer, it just shifted its weight. It was simply standing there and hating her, radiating malevolence. Then the paralysis was gone and she jolted back as if burned. She stood at the edge of the porch, shaken. The sunlight on the back of her neck made her feel like a little girl, a fearful and wildly imaginative child. You're just scared. You didn't see that. 
The neighborhood was empty and silent. She edged back to the window and peered between the boards. The figure was gone. (laughs) There were still shadows in the same place, but they were indistinguishable from the rest. Get your shit together. She'd come here to do something, to help a kid who needed help. Jumping at shadows was no way to go about it. Something was wrong here, though. That living room hadn't looked inhabited. Julie went down the porch and looked up at the house again, and now she noticed something. The upstairs windows were not boarded. There was only dark glass. Oh, I got a burp. <laughs> <laughs> that's, in the, that's actually part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Walking cautiously around the house. Should I be doing this? She peered into the backyard. The grass was high. There was a slash of blue material in it, shiny like a windbreaker. A tent. A sagging blue tent as if for a camping trip. The front flap was open. She approached it and knelt to look in. She saw candy wrappers, empty peanut butter containers, bed sheets with some comic book hero on them. Thor. It was Thor. A child's sheets. And she saw pens and pencils and 9 by 12 paper, the kind they used in school printers, and library books, school library books, Sounder and Bridge to Terabithia, and in the corner, a small pile of familiar white socks with wet red stripes. With wet stripes. Lucas was living in the tent. The poor kid. Where was Frank Weaver? Had Lucas's father abandoned him here? Gone out drinking one night and never come home? She went back around the house, intending to leave. And then she heard the school bus. Instinctively, she stopped, half hidden. Lucas and two older boys got off. The older boys were roughhousing as they went off down the street. She watched Lucas walk around uh, the house alone. He went around the other side into the backyard. She crept back around to see him enter his tent. After a moment, he came out with the Thor sheets, bundled in his arms. He carried the bundle back around the other side of the house. She watched him go up the street, his small figure getting smaller, off to the laundromat. He was on his own. She would have to talk to child services, get the county involved. Once he was gone, she walked toward her car, but a prickly feeling on the back of her neck like a silk scarf brushing against it (laughs) made her turn and look back at the house it was a shell a sarcophagus a shape moved in the upstairs window a child's silhouette smaller than lucas maybe five years old and then it was gone it had been sucking on its fingers todd the little brother she walked back to the porch she rang the bell and called todd No answer. But she'd seen him. He was in there. She pounded on the door. Silence. She peered through the boarded up windows again. Darkness. Then, soft as a cat, a little figure dashed past. Todd, she shouted. I'm Lucas's teacher from school. Can you let me in? No reply. She tried the front door. Locked. Todd, I need to talk to you. She heard something, like a kitten mewling from inside plaintive Mm. as it got louder it sounded less like a kitten more like a child it grew into a sob a sound of desolation and fear i have to get in there i have to help that child she banged on the door can you hear me open the door the crying seemed to be from deep in the house maybe from the basement it had a faraway panicky almost hysterical quality julia threw herself against the door something terrible was happening inside that house something had happened to that child A kind of madness was coming over her. I'm coming. The door didn't give. 
She looked around wildly and saw something sharp in the grass, a long piece of metal, rusted, something from a car. She brought it to the door, stabbed one end between the door and the jam, and pulled. With a retching crackle, the door swung inward, the old lock ripping out of the dry, almost rotted wood. Immediately, the crying stopped. She looked into the foul, stale darkness and listened. Her heart was pounding. She felt it in her throat and ears and under her left breast. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, the fever that had come over her, the frantic desire to get into the house to help the child, subsided a little. Did I really hear it? Yes, she had heard it. And she'd seen the silhouette. There was a child in this house and he'd been terrified, maybe in pain. So why now the silence? She stepped inside. The air was heavy. She held the neck of her shirt over her mouth. Things had rotted in here. There were animals in the walls or something, and one had expired. Todd? Her voice died in the air. She was in a cramped front hallway. To the left was the kitchen, ancient dishes in the sink, everything coated in a grime skin. To the right, though, was the living room, the room she'd seen the little figure dash through. She entered it. The rug was gray-brown, liquor bottles in the corner, rat droppings all over the floor. A redskin's calendar sideways on the wall, yellow. On a coffee table sat a bowl of black moss that had been soup. Mm-hmm. Beside, the bowl, <laughs> beside the bowl sat three small figurines of red clay. The figurines had disproportionately large heads. Animals of some kind? Maybe goats? Todd, she called again. A symbol had been smeared on the table long ago in some dark substance. A five-pointed star. (laughs) The star had other markings, drawings that looked like eyes with rectangular black pupils, like goat's eyes. One at each point of the star. A feeling of dread was coming over her like she'd miscalculated in some disastrous way. I shouldn't have come in here. Then her skin tightened into bumps. She felt it again, the sense of someone close by, that presence she'd imagined. No, I didn't imagine it, beyond the boarded-up window. It's malevolence, it's pure and shining hatred. That presence was standing behind her, (laughs) giving off an overpowering desire to perform acts of cruelty, to mutilate to desecrate, to inhale the agony of others. To swear at. To to, to make fun of. To curse. (laughs) It wanted to say the S word. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Um, She looked behind her. Nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. She wanted to flee the house, but another darker room, the room into which the small figure had dashed, waited beyond the living room. She took a step toward that doorway. I'm just quietly squirming over here. (laughs) She's getting deeper into the house. It led into a dining room where the light didn't quite reach. She didn't enter. She just looked in. Two corpses. A man and a small child curled on the floor. They'd been dead a long time. They were dry as leaves, almost mummified. And there was something wrong with their faces. The sense of a presence behind her grew suddenly intolerable, as if it were just now leaning over her shoulder, its big chin almost resting on her collarbone, Mm -hmm. its breath on her neck. One more step. A whisper. 
She jolted so hard it was more like a convulsion. In a mindless panic, she ran from the house. On the lawn, she fumbled for her phone, gasping. No service. The house is doing it, she thought hysterically. Whatever's in the house, it's that strong. It's jamming the signal. She was halfway up the street before she got any bars. The sheriff's name was Drew Easton. He was a skinny, thoughtful-looking, 40-ish man with deep crow's feet and a calm half-smile. On another day, he might have found, she might have found him attractive. Stay here, Easton told her. Two more squad cars were pulling up. That was probably half of Rexford's police force. We'll go in and see what's what. She waited, numb, by the police cars. She kept hearing that voice in her ear, that raspy whisper. A man's voice, rough and insistent. <laughs> the sheriff went into the house with a few deputies. One came back out. His face was ashen and gleaming, and he kept rubbing his mouth. When Sheriff Easton emerged, he wasn't smiling anymore, and he somehow looked older. Like you said, he told her, two bodies. Uh, state crime lab will tell us for sure, but I think it's Frank Weaver and his son Todd. I don't understand it. Why didn't Lucas tell anyone, Julia said. Probably scared the county would take him away. Probably seen it happen to other kids down here. He looked around. Some residents were outside watching the police cars. I'll get Kenny to go by the laundromat and pick up the kid. Okay, Julia said. I'd like to stay here until they find him, if that's all right. Do you have any idea what happened? How they died? Easton sighed. <sighs> <laughs> if I had to guess, I'd say Frank killed his boy, maybe fed him rat poison. There's a big box in there, and then killed himself. What happened after that, I don't know. It looks like nobody's been in there for a year. Jesus. What about the crying I heard, and the person I thought I saw moving around? You didn't think you saw it, she thought. Easton gave her a strange look. There's nobody else in there. We looked all over. The only place we haven't been yet is the basement. Why not, mm. she said uneasy. It's locked. Heavy door. We're looking for a key. We'll get a locksmith to come if we can't find one. Could someone be down there? If so, they're keeping quiet. He shook his head again, slowly exhaled. What? Julia asked. I've been a cop for 25 years. I've seen a few people who died younger than they should. But in there, something's just not right. She nodded. She knew. Easton went reluctantly back to the house. A coroner's van arrived. Two men in white uniforms carried out the body bags. They were loading the second body bag, the little one, when footsteps came up quickly behind her, soft and crackling. She cried out as she turned. It was Lucas. He had come out of the woods, up the street. He must have taken a shortcut, and the police had missed him. Clutching his bedsheets, he stared with horror as the bodies were taken away. What are they doing? He asked in a high, shaken voice. We found your father and Todd, she said gently. We know you've been on your own. It's going to be okay. We're going to... What are they doing? Lucas, how long have you been living like this by yourself? She said. Can you tell me that? When did it happen? He didn't seem to hear. He took a few tentative steps, staring with what seemed like disbelief at the small black body bag being loaded into the van. They took them out, he said. They're taking them away? Lucas, she said. They're not going to take you away. Someone's going to... They can't do that! The look on his face was heartbreaking. A look of despair, of someone with no choices left. No kid should have to feel that way. She stood in front of him to block his view. She put her hands on his shoulders and looked him in the eyes. 
It's going to be okay, she told him. I know this must have been hard. I can't imagine how hard, but I'm here for you. That's that's a promise. Do you understand? His state of shock seemed to subside, and a flicker of comprehension came into his eyes. He nodded. That's a promise, Julia said again. Very quietly, he said. I'm scared. She hugged him. She couldn't help it. Julia spoke quietly with Easton out of Lucas's hearing. The sheriff had tried asking the kid a few gentle questions, but barely got a response. What's going to happen to him? Julia asked. First thing, we need to figure out the relative situation. Maybe he goes to live with an aunt or grandma. What if he doesn't have one? Well, Easton said uncomfortably, then we see what other options there are. There are good foster families out there. What about this weekend? Julia asked. Where's he going to sleep? It was clearly a question the sheriff had not considered yet. Well, he finally said, I don't know that even if we drove him out to Morgantown, they'd have a place all set up for him tonight. I'll I'll see if I know someone who can... I can, Julia said. He can stay with me. I rent the cottage behind Elaine Fielding's house. There's, there's room. Well, good. I mean, you're his teacher, Easton said. She drove Lucas to her cottage. The whole ride, he stared out the window, scanning the trees like he was looking for something. Very faintly, in the distance, there were sirens. Rexford was in a valley, and sound carried. Do you want to listen to the radio? Julia asked, because she didn't know what else to say. What could you say to a kid who'd been through what he had? All you could do was try to make him feel safe for the moment. No matter what I do, he's going to need a lot of therapy, she thought. Lucas didn't seem to hear her. He just kept staring out the window. Now and then he twisted in the seat to look over his shoulder, as if something might be following them down the road. Elaine, her landlord, was retrieving the plastic refuse bins from the end of the driveway when they got home. Elaine was tall, with short gray hair, a husky laugh, and a serene, absent-minded smile. She was, now, uh, she was smiling now, wiping one hand on a faded t-shirt that said Vandals, which Julia was pretty sure was an old band. She was also pretty sure Elaine smoked a lot of weed. Elaine, sorry, Elaine leaned down to the window to say hi. Hey, who's this? She said. One of your students? This is Lucas, Julia said. He's hanging out for the weekend. Right, Lucas? Lucas studied Elaine. Yeah, he said. Lucas, Elaine lives in the other house. That one, Julia pointed it out. Elaine looked a little puzzled, but waved. Okay, then. Lucas, I want you to do one thing for me, okay? What? He said even more quietly. Keep it real. Can you do that? <laughs> yeah. Good, Elaine said. Then you don't have anything to worry about. Julia drove up past the main house and parked by the cottage. It was getting dark. Once inside, Lucas shut the front door and locked Lucas it. Lucas shut the fuck up. They're just censoring. <laughs> <laughs> shut the front door. <laughs> yeah, really. That's funny. Um, then he went around and locked all the windows. You want to get a pizza for dinner? She asked. She was trying to keep him occupied, if not entertained. She had just started playing Despicable Me on her laptop. She didn't have a TV, and they were on her couch watching it. He sat with his arms wrapped around his knees. I don't want to go out, he said. Do you have anything to eat here? We don't have to go out. We can order, Julia said, searching for her phone. What do you like? Cheese? Sausage? She ordered two large pizzas from Paul's, the local place, thinking she would put the leftovers in the fridge. What kid doesn't like pizza for breakfast? When she sat back down with him, she noticed again his frailness, his bird-like shoulders. Her desire to help him, to protect him, swelled up stronger than ever. 
Now that she knew how he had been living, she wondered if he was suffering from serious malnutrition. He should be checked out by a doctor. He should have been taken straight to a hospital. She wasn't going to make Lucas's night even worse by rushing him off to War Memorial Hospital right now, an hour away, just when the movie was getting good and they had pizza coming. But she could make sure something was arranged for tomorrow. She went into the kitchen with her phone. Sheriff Easton had given her his number. His phone rang many times before he answered. Yeah, who's this? He sounded almost out of breath, and there was a siren loud in the background. She had the impression that he was driving. It's Julia Gray. I wanted to ask you. Uh, I think Lucas should see a doctor. Get checked out. I think he's malnourished, and given how he's been living... Yeah, yeah, of, of course. I'll, I'll take care of that tomorrow. Is everything all right? She asked. What's going on? I'm headed over to Ballard Creek. It sounds like some people got hurt over there tonight. Maybe bad. His voice sounded raw, not the confident man who showed up in the mutters a few hours earlier. Miss Gray, I have to go, uh, but there's something else I want to—I ought to tell you. We got into the basement. I'm going to ask you to keep this to yourself. Uh, what we found down there was um, a lot of animals, dead, dead animals. What kind of animals? She said quiet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> she said quiet. I'm like, what kind of animals? <laughs> what kind of animals? She said quietly so Lucas wouldn't hear. Dogs mostly, dogs and cats. Some of them had collars and tags. They were, uh, I've never seen anything quite like it. They were kind of twisted around like their necks and their bodies broken. Broken, she said. Like somebody rang them out like towels and just broke everything inside of them, Easton said. And some of them hadn't been down there that long. Some of them had only been there maybe a week or less. Julia looked back into the living room. Lucas was watching the movie. How big were they? She said faintly. She heard what sounded like a police radio crackling. Small. Cats and small dogs. He knew what she was thinking. He said, Miss Gray, I don't know what happened to those animals in that basement, but if you don't want that kid in your house tonight, I get it. You bring him over to the station. You understand? I'll call you back, she said quietly. She hung up. She looked into the living room. Lucas was not watching the movie anymore. He was looking at her. Mm -hmm. She remembered the way he always recoiled at school if anyone got near him. Like he was scared he smelled bad. But he didn't smell bad. He smelled like pets. Tried to wring them like towels. <laughs> Broke everything inside them. Julia looked at his skinny arms, his small white hands. He couldn't do that, could he? She walked slowly over to him. He kept watching her. She sat next to him. He looked, uh, she looked him in the eye. Lucas, how long ago did your father and your little brother die? I don't want to talk about it, he mumbled. You need to. How did they die? I don't want to talk about it, he repeated almost inaudibly. I won't talk about it. Did you see it? He didn't speak. She looked at him. Just mouth the words, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. That quality he had, which she had interpreted as vulnerable shyness. Could it be something else? Something colder? More reptilian? What happened to being bird-like? <laughs> yeah. She remembered that movie, The Bad Seed. Or was it The Good Son? Someone, one of her relatives, had made a joke about it when she became a teacher. Lucas, she said, her voice catching in her throat. 
They found some animals in your basement. Do you know what I'm talking about? No answer. Do you know how they got there? No answer. Did you put them there? He shook his head slowly. She took his arm. It was as thin as a bone. Lucas, if you don't answer me, I can't help you. Please tell me the truth. Who killed the animals in the basement? He just stared at her. Thoughtlessly, as if in a dream, she stood up and started backing away. Dimly, she was aware of the dogs barking over at Elaine's house. But then they both went silent. The movie, still playing on her laptop, chirped mockingly. Lucas watched her back into the kitchen. Then he turned to look out the window, where darkness had fallen. She called Sheriff Easton back. She had to call three times before he answered. And when he did, she could hear screaming in the background. The gender of the person was impossible to know, but they were screams of fresh, shattering grief. Mm-hmm. Who is that? What's, what's happening? Julia said unsteadily, a panic rising. Miss Gray, I gotta call you back, the sheriff said hoarsely. Some people got killed over here in Ballard tonight. The way he hesitated before he said killed made it sound like they hadn't just been killed. Like something more awful, more specific had happened to them. More towel-ringy. <laughs> I think maybe some kind of animal's gotten loose, and we don't know where it is now. She had a flash image of a human body, torn apart, broken, tried to wring them out like towels, lying like a huge shredded red rag on one of those neat green Ballard Creek lawns. Sheriff, I want to talk to you about Lucas. Not now, he said distractedly. Just lock your doors. She said they already are, and then Easton hung up on her. And all they wanted to do was to go to town and eat people. Except maybe he hadn't hung up on her. Because when she looked at the phone, she had no service anymore. Just like earlier at Lucas's house. And just like earlier, she felt a chill of dread. The fine hairs all over her body standing on end. She looked at Lucas again. He was still looking out the window into the night. But now he was gripping the edge of the couch with white-knuckled hands. If he were a dog, the hair on his back would have been standing straight up. But as a bird, that wasn't happening. Them feathers were flat as fuck. (laughs) Lucas, she whispered, what are you looking at? Then the screams started from outside. They were coming from Elaine's house. The sound was so raw, so unfamiliar, that at first Julia didn't realize it was Elaine. She started for the door, but Lucas cried in a high voice, No, don't go out there! It was a good thing she hesitated, because then, in the window, she saw movement. Something in the yard... Lucas saw it too and backed away from the window. There was a child out there, just a small dark shape, moving strangely on the grass. She knew right away that it was the same silhouette she'd seen in the window at Lucas's house, in the shape of a small boy. But now she could see that something was growing out of its skull, something like gnarled tree branches, horns, or antlers. The boy thing had its fingers in its mouth. It was hopping like a frog in the dark grass. It was playing, not the least bit bothered by the long, ragged screams of agony coming from the other house. Mm -hmm. Lucas, Julia whispered, paralyzed. Who is that? It's Todd, she said. Your brother Todd is dead. 
I know. Elaine's screams stopped. They had seemed to go on forever, but it was probably only 15 or 20 seconds. The little boy thing in the yard stopped hopping. It stood and turned toward the big house, and when it did, she got a glimpse of its face in the moonlight. Wax white and strangely bulbous with large, crazily staring eyes and a wet mouth that was sucking on itself as if in constant search of a food source. (laughs) Then shadows covered it again. The glimpse was so shocking, so bizarre, that she wanted to believe she'd imagined it, that her mind had drawn it up from some horror movie she'd seen as a girl. The lights in Elaine's house were dark. They'd been on earlier. Now the little boy, Todd, was staring at Elaine's house as the back door swung open in something, a man-shaped darkness, but larger than a man, emerged. Julia recognized it too. It was the thing she'd seen the first time she looked in the boarded-up window of Lucas's house, the figure that had radiated such malevolence, the one that had whispered to her. Now she could see that it, too, had great gnarled oak-like antlers. It walked to the little boy, if walking was the right word because its feet didn't quite seem to touch the ground, and held out its hand. And the little boy seemed to eat or lap something out of its hand. Mm-hmm. She didn't have to ask Lucas who it was. She knew. It was Frank Weaver. Frank and Todd turned to look at the cottage. Their faces, indistinct in the darkness, were grotesquely, almost clownishly evil. Lucas, she whispered, what do they want? He was so quiet she could barely hear him. They're hungry. They're always hungry. (laughs) (laughs) And all they wanted to do was go to town and eat people. They were still just standing out there in the yard, like hateful statues. She understood that they didn't eat in the normal sense. They didn't feed on flesh. That wasn't what he meant. They fed on pain. What are they? She whispered. How did they get like this? He did it, Lucas said. He made it so that if they died, they would be like this. His voice choked off. He didn't know that if their bodies stayed in the house, they couldn't get out. You were feeding them, weren't you? She said, you were keeping them trapped in the house and feeding them. I had to. And I let them out. Lucas didn't answer. She wanted to ask him why he hadn't warned her, told her they would be coming. But she knew the answer. It wouldn't have made any difference. She never would have believed him. Is there anything we can do? He stared out the window, his chin crumpling. They don't like the light, he said. But the lights are going to go out soon. The two figures in the yard were no longer standing still. The little boy started toward the cottage, still being playful. He took giant, exaggerated tiptoe steps, like a cartoon character sneaking sneaking up on someone. Mm. And the huge man strode, floated, after him. A full-body panic seized her. Once, as a child, she had been dragged and rolled by a wave at the beach. It seemed to go on forever, and as her brain screamed for oxygen and black dots swelled in her vision, she'd felt the same panic. I'm going to die too soon. They came toward the cottage with nightmarish slowness, grinning, enjoying themselves like an obscene parody of a father and son out for a walk, and she knew that when they reached it, her life would end. I'll go with them, Lucas said faintly. They came for me. If I go out there, they might not. Shut up, she hissed. Shut up, (laughs) she hissed. (laughs) She was trying to think. The lights are going to go out. 
She knelt and fumbled under the table by the front door. She kept a flashlight there. A tiny voice in her head screamed at her, Send him out, for fuck's sake, he's the one they want. Send him out there and run. Ignoring it, she turned the flashlight on, a heavy, powerful mag light with a black metal handle longer than her forearm, barely a second before the lights went out. Darkness surged in on them. The mag light's beam swung wildly, bleaching the walls and ceiling. She saw their leering, impossible faces suddenly right outside the window, pressed up against the glass and looking in. Their eyes had rectangular black pupils like the goats. The boy gibbered soundlessly, lips moving and puckering. <laughs> They'd be on her already, she knew, if not for the mag light, which had already begun to flicker. <laughs> Give him to me. A whisper, but it felt like burning smoke against her eardrum, like steam enveloping her brain. She cried out and recoiled. And then they weren't at the window anymore, but inside. The man shape in one corner of the room and the boy shape in another, moving in. And the flashlight died and Lucas was shrieking. And Julia was about to scream in someone else's voice, Take him! Leave me alone! Headlights flashed across the front room. A car was pulling up outside. Frank and Todd weren't there anymore. A car door slammed. Footsteps came toward the door. Julia tried to warn the pizza delivery boy, but he barely had time to ring the doorbell. Then two shapes lunged past the front windows, and he started screaming, too. For a moment, she was frozen. Some part of her, was it, was it though, really? Had been about to do it, about to give up Lucas. A wave of hot, oh, sorry, a hot wave of shame, <laughs> a wave of hot shame. <laughs> <laughs> a hot wave of shame washed over her. She heard bones breaking outside, mm -hmm. all at once like a sheet of bubble wrap being twisted, and her paralysis broke. They only had a moment or two. She pulled Lucas into the kitchen and grabbed a glass salad bowl, a steel pot, and the iron skillet she used for cooking eggs. She arranged them on the, on the linoleum floor in a triangle, with herself and Lucas at the center. She started tearing up newspaper and filling them in. Then she grabbed some matches and lit the newspaper on fire. Keep putting paper in, she told Lucas. Don't let the fires die. They had only three newspapers. Today's, yesterday's, and the one from tomorrow? <laughs> And the one from the day before. But how long would that last? The delivery boy's screams tapered off. The small fires began to rise, with Julia and Lucas huddled in their flickering light, feeding them. She saw Todd's dark shape capering in the living room like a dog. Frank appeared in the kitchen doorway. Lucas gripped her arm. For a moment, Frank just looked at her, the fire dancing between them. The light played on his swollen face. Give him to me. A strange calm settled over her. Her brain seemed to enter that cloud again, that steam. She had to be realistic. They had gotten Elaine and the delivery boy and some people over in Ballard Creek, too. They had fed. Maybe they would let her go if she gave up the boy. She could quit teaching, go back to school, do something else, live another life. Yes. First, she just had to live through the night, and that meant giving up the boy. Push him out of the light. She didn't move, but she looked down at Lucas. It wouldn't be hard, and then they would be gone. Frank's obscene face seemed to swell and distort in the firelight. Give him to me. <laughs> He's my son. <laughs> my boy. <laughs> my pride and joy. <laughs> 
She placed a hand on Lucas's shoulder, felt the frailness of his bones, the heat of his flesh. Lucas looked up at her. He was waiting for her to push him away. She looked up at Frank. She dug her fingers into Lucas's shoulder. She shook her head. Nobody noticed at first when she didn't show up for school. The town of Rexford was in shock. Six people killed during the night, including the two over in Ballard Creek, and others missing. But when her co-worker, Brett Goucher, the one who taught third grade, eventually dropped by her cottage to check on her, he didn't even go inside. The kid from Paul's Pizza was lying on the porch. Paul himself was there too, having come over to see what had happened to his missing delivery boy. After what had been done to them, they looked more like disgracefully made pizzas than people. <laughs> Legitimately, actually written. <laughs> Mr. Goucher got... so well up until now. <laughs> I know. He's like, he's like, eh, the story's done, the end. <laughs> Mr. Goucher got back in his car and fled. It was Sheriff Easton who finally found Julia. She was all over the kitchen floor, and she was alone. <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> Now I will read the actual story. <laughs> well, that was a very spooky one. Oh, boy. Oh, thank Not you looking. for tolerating the length of that tale. No, that was a great story. Cool. I look forward to probably not watching the movie because scary. I know it's too creepy <laughs> already. Maybe I will. I don't know. So, mm-hmm. I was watching the tales on through a tiny little <laughs> hole in the wall through backwards binoculars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just make my eyes ginormous. <laughs> oh, that is some spooky stuff. I do have one last story. Oh, please do. Uh, this is this one is by Fancy Pants. <laughs> Uh, house sitting and taking care of the dogs for my aunt. And that's the whole sentence. Like, it was an old oh farm- my god! <laughs> Horrifying! It was an old farmhouse. Old as in the kitchen and bathroom were added on the house when working plumbing became a common thing. I played some video games, watched a little TV, just winding down to go to sleep. Just laying there in the dark, starting to doze off when I hear something. Hmm. Something coming from upstairs. Mm. The upstairs was an attic turned into bedrooms for my cousins. The best way I could describe it was like a pipe or a bottle, the sound of some kind of hollow object rolling back and forth across the floor in the room directly above me. I just sat there wide-eyed and scared shitless. Finally, I worked up the courage to get up and turn the lights back on. Mm-hmm. The rolling sound continued. I told myself it was just something in the walls trying mm-hmm. to come up with any rational explanation. Mm-hmm. I got up to turn the TV back on and just kind of drown out the sound. With the lights on, I noticed the dogs, two big Rottweilers, were sitting silently in the kitchen hair bristling and staring right at me. I backed away, honestly afraid they were going to attack me for some reason, but I realized they weren't staring at me. They were looking past me at the door that goes upstairs. Well, shit. That did nothing to settle my nerves, but there was no way in hell I was going up to investigate. I cranked up the TV, eventually coaxed the dogs into the living room, and after a while, I was tired again. I left the TV on, just turned it down, and um, laid back down on the couch and got some shut-eye. I don't know how long I was asleep, just that when I woke up, I was still I was still pitch black outside. What woke me up was the door. My feet were hanging over the arm of the couch I was sleeping on, and the door that led upstairs had come open and hit my feet. Oh my god. <laughs> if you've ever lived in an old house, you will know this kind of door. It's an old door. The kind that's been warped from too many winters and rubs the frame when you shut it. The kind you would have to put your shoulder into to close it all the way, but have to really pull to open again. 
Yet there it was, wide open to a pitch black staircase and hinges creaking as it bumped against my dangling feet. Oh, fuck this. I was up and out in seconds. The dog's right behind me. Put my shoes on in the car, put the dogs in their kennel, and was off to this, uh, to sweet civilization. I didn't care about using all the gas to drive out and feed the dogs every day. I wasn't spending another night in that house. Good move. Yeah. His, his freak out is more convincing than anything for me because I would be in the exact same boat i'd be like it's like nope goodbye <laughs> don't even need shoes i'll put them on later i'll put them on later get me the fuck out of here yes oh my god so that's uh that is far and away the creepiest one <laughs> that is so spooky oh my yeah. god so that's uh that's <sighs> our halloween spook extravaganza Thank you this guys year. for joining hope yeah, you we've been in the spooky space which actually i will say did add to the creepiness of listening to the tales for us certainly nothing yeah. really happened uh other than those weird kind of sounds in the headphones a couple times i didn't notice anything specifically spooky but. no i mean lauren did i think it was lauren came over and gave me a sort of shoulder massage a few times wait if you had just been sitting there the whole time lauren <laughs> <laughs> oh no uh, <laughs> Upstairs? Well, that's uh, time <laughs> to make like that last story and leave. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what do we want to do? <laughs> wrap up? For uh, the... Yeah, we could wrap up and then. Oh my God, this candle is really the candle crazy. is intriguingly very flickery. Yeah, in a way that should not be. We have some. Um, Lauren got some photos. I'll get some. Uh, I'll try to get some video of that happening. Um, oh, I'm hearing that. Oh, it's the stack's happening. In the, okay, and the candle stopped flickering. I'm gonna try and bring the. There we go. Bring the exposure down. So there's the candle going nuts, and there's no obvious wind. Can't see. The flame is like down inside of it. Yeah, it's kind of protected by all the wax. Oh, and when I lean over to look at it, it stops. What the actual fuck is going on? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. He's oh! <laughs> doing it again. I'll lean close again. Without command. Okay, hey, get out face. of the way, buddy. Interesting. Flicker, flicker. I guess that is the nature of the candle is to flicker. Yeah. This is funny how it's always doing it at the most inopportune times. Thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. This was a very fun, uh, fun Halloween special. Please make sure to, if you enjoyed the show, go. It's uh, free to rate and review on uh, Apple Podcasts. And it would help us out in a big way. And um, if you're feeling particularly generous and want to join the old super duperstitious tribe of fans, mm-hmm. we would love your support at Patreon. Or you can just uh, get a t-shirt or a hoodie Buy or some a tank merch. top. We got ourselves a, sticker, a shop. The shop. Superduperstitious.com slash shop. All good stuff. And uh, if you want some more Halloween content, even though this is Halloween itself, uh, well, you could always... Um, I actually, it's, I'm not sure which, what date it'll have come out this month, but some Sunday in October, I'm sure by now, the um, I wrote an episode of a SciShow about uh, spooky stuff. I, um, yeah, for the past year or so, I've been doing freelance script writing for SciShow, the science show hosted by Hank Green and others. So if you watch those videos and you want a spooky thing, I wrote the ones about uh, scientific explanations for hauntings. That is so cool. Um, it's called, I think, uh, Things That Go Bump in Your Brain. <laughs> I like so it. If it's if it's come out by now, I'll post a link to it, and that'll be a thing you can check out for additional content tangentially through uh, from us. And for myself, if you are listening to this on Halloween, you can go to Kittery and walk around. You may bump into me, and I will be <laughs> maybe dressed up, maybe not. Hopefully, wearing clothes. Potentially wearing clothes. Potentially in costume, or I will have gone to bed. <laughs> 
And that will be my contribution. Yeah. Uh, other news for Halloween. So we haven't announced it on the show yet, but I am uh, sadly moving away. Jake is <laughs> the worst. Disincorporating <laughs> yeah. from our friendship. <laughs> we still love you. It's not because of you. Yeah. Daddy and daddy. <laughs> are going to be living very far apart now jake's moving to minneapolis minneapolis we're uh lauren and i are trying some something some, some see if we can find something new there we'll see what happens uh if you're we worried about how it's going show. to yeah if you're worried about how it's going to affect the show then by the time you've heard this we've been gone for several weeks <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we we have no plans of slowing down at nope. all we're definitely going to keep doing the show regularly and keep cranking out new content, keep making new products for the shop, keep finding new ways to entertain, spook, and educate your minds, brains, and heads. So stay tuned and um, goodbye. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>